We aim to be as flexible and extensible as possible with escape hatches and, of course, being open source and white label. The goal here is to make sure that we can lay this foundation that will last within your project or organization for five, 10 years plus. That's a very difficult ask at the project or the business level, but that's, that's what we're, we're striving to build. This is Contributor, a podcast telling the stories behind the best open source projects and the communities that make them. I'm Eric Anderson. We're joined today by Ben Haynes, who's going to tell us all about Directus, which is a critical part of the modern data stack. Directus is an instant REST and GraphQL API and intuitive no-code data collaboration app for any SQL database. I think of it, Ben, as a kind of an admin interface on steroids. How does that sound? That sounds very accurate to me. I, th- I think that was the original inspiration, actually, so on point. Well, Ben, you, you've you got quite a little project on your hands here, a big project. Directus has grown massively over the last few years and kind of the leading admin interface, for lack of a better word. Tell us maybe just really quickly what or how you would describe Directus, and then we want to get into the history of how it came to be. Yeah. I mean, the the struggle you had with sort of categorizing it is something that we often run against because we straddle a number of categories, you know, in our capabilities and what we're doing. But at large, it's we're referring to it as an open data platform. It is essentially a platform that layers on top of any SQL database and provides a toolkit for developers, all the automation, connectivity, APIs they need, and then also includes a data studio where we're essentially democratizing that database. We're providing a no-code data collaboration studio where anyone, technical, non-technical, can go in and browse, manage, visualize what was traditionally locked behind the doors of IT, You know anything in that SQL database. So lots of use cases, uh, lots of categories that we straddle, as I said, but a lot of potential and a lot of a lot of interested developers. So if I'm building an application that involves a SQL database, regardless of what it is, I can bolt on Directus and get the ability to describe schema visually. I can administrate actual elements of the data. I can I can kind of dive into the contents of the data graphically, find records, manipulate them. This is all the stuff that I would just kind of get on as this sidecar experience that comes with Directus. Yeah, exactly. And I think a key difference here is that you don't have to be building. You could already have that database. Again, a word I'll probably bring up a lot during this sort of talk is unopinionated or agnostic. We really are big on adapting to the technology stack of the developer, you know, and not making them beholden to our technology choices. And so a big part of that is embracing the database, the architecture, the database vendor that those engineers have chosen. And so we can layer on top of existing data stores and provide the same functionality. There's no proprietary way that Directus stores things. And so it's equally valuable to those legacy data stores or an existing project that you need to add these capabilities to after the fact. Uh, Of course, we enable people building new projects as well, but uh, the best of both worlds. So let's get into how this happened. I think you were kind of the heart of the story. So I imagine the director's story is a bit the Ben Haynes story. How far back do we go? Yeah, a while. Yeah, definitely, definitely the heart and pretty much all of it in the beginning, uh, which was just really exciting. And it's, yeah, going back about 18 years at this point, uh, I was 2004, which just is crazy to me. You know, I technology doesn't last that long at the conceptual level, uh, let alone at, you know, the mm-hmm. software level. And so it's really interesting to me that we've 
been able to craft this concept that's withstood the test of time, you know, very similar to things like SQL. You know, SQL has been around for a while. It's still very relevant today. And so I think keeping things very simple has been a big part of our, of this history of how we've kind of built the software. But yeah, going back to 2004, I was running an IT consultancy out of New York City small, you know, boutique studio, but we were doing projects for Google and Prada, AT&T, SoulCycle, Snapchat. You know, these are larger companies as well as smaller SMBs and cultural institutions, but no real rhyme or reason to the actual projects we were building. You Mm -hmm. know, digital experiences, installations, internal tools, whatever was required, you know, just trying to be on the cutting edge or the bleeding edge even of innovating with these projects. And what I found within our agency and other agencies that I had been working with was there was just so much boilerplate that was being created to get the foundation ready for these projects. You know, so much connectivity and the data store, the authentication, security. And then once you've dealt with all that, you can get into the innovative side, the presentation and and Mm -hmm. what you're actually trying to craft. And then beyond that, once you've completed your entire deliverable, you're handing it off to whoever that might be. I mean, the U.S. government in some cases for projects that we did. The end user needs a way to administer that project. Uh, They can't simply go in and and just work in the database as we did, uh, you know, on the engineering side. And we were building a lot of bespoke tools, a lot of custom admin portals to manage and author content or assets and data. And so, yeah, that was one of the, the big you know, reasons for this platform was how can we take all of this repetitive work, this inefficiency, and build something that was unopinionated, but flexible and extensible enough to power these different solutions and not be a jack of all trades, master of none, but more of a toolkit that we could leverage internally. And we found great success with that. Uh, Of course, fast forward, we open sourced it, etc. But yeah, the the real primer for this platform was ironically, uh, there's database administration tools, notably one called phpMyAdmin. We use quite different and more modern tools now, but I looked at that platform and I said, this is this is what we're using, you know, to architect yeah. the database, to browse and manage data. Why can't we create this, this GUI for the database, but make it simple, safe, and intuitive enough where engineers, data scientists, and completely non-technical users can all go in and have this this access. So that's kind of where things started a while back. I did the first five versions, I believe, myself, and then handed it off to more capable hands on my team. So I imagine the original thinking was, I have this problem. This will help me do better IT consultancy. Like I'll be able to do more projects and manage them. At some point, you thought that maybe this could be something bigger. It could be an open source project or even its own company. How did that transition happened. Yeah, it was a real eye-opening moment. And it actually was one project. We took on a project for a very small, I think it was a one studio company at the time. I think it was 2011, 2012, named SoulCycle. They had a handful of people working there and essentially they needed to upgrade their data systems. They needed to build a foundation to handle this growth that they were seeing. And they had a data store, it had you know tens of millions of records in it. They were actively growing and doing upwards of thousands of requests per second at times. And we came in and we found a lot of value that we could provide with this software. And the eye-opening moment was really this lack of diligence that was required to make that decision. We were able to layer on top of seamlessly their existing data store. We were able to provide capabilities 
out of the box, you know, the same day that would have taken months or a year plus mm-hmm. to build, you know, custom. And we were able to do so in, a, in an open and extensible way so that they wouldn't see a feature ceiling 12 months down the line as the business continued to grow. But what was really interesting to me is the expansion from my mindset of using it as a content authoring platform, which is just how we used it uh, internally in those early days, to it's just the database. And that really coalesced this idea that you can manage inventory and allocation, point of sale, bike maintenance, uh, studio scheduling, content, of course, and IoT devices with these different kiosks and studios, all of this disparate data that is very interconnected relationally could all be managed in this single source of truth. And that was just a a very impactful moment for me to realize, wow, this is something really big that needs some additional attention here. So we've talked to others who have a similar story. I think the chef project from Adam Jacob similarly started with somebody who was doing consultant work and managing lots of clients and then built a tool that would allow him to do it much more efficiently. I guess one pitfall in that transition is like, when do you give up the IT consultancy and decide you're all in on the product or the project? And was that a hard line to cut for yourself? It would have been almost certainly if that line had remained a little bit more uh, linear. As it stood, I actually went through some M&As and with another New York-based firm. And then we were acquired by AOL, which months later rolled into Verizon. It was this whirlwind of of M&As where I ended up in sort of a corporate position was there for a while and it was exciting, but it, you know, I'm just, I guess, more of an entrepreneur at heart. And I, I knew I had this IP in my back pocket and I going through the meetings on that corporate side and speaking with the leadership there, there was just this, you know, urge to go back and focus on that. Uh, and my agency had kind of been shuttered to an extent. It, it kind of rolled into this larger picture and had some conversations. And I, I said, you know what, my focus, my desire is really to build this premium open source platform to really think about all those things that I learned on the previous decade of iterating through versions within my own agency and take that to the next level, you know, build an actual commercial business and make this a sustainable, but still very true to the spirit of open source project. And so I stepped away, spent a few years. I I'd met my, my co-founder serendipitously directly after leaving that more corporate position and we focused for years, almost in a stealth mode, rebuilding and modernizing the platform completely from the ground up in TypeScript. And yeah, that kind of brought us to about a year ago. We closed a seed round and that enabled us to go from a two-person open source organization to a 15-person business where we are, are now growing mm-hmm. quite quickly. I think we actually just passed 20 million Docker downloads like a few weeks ago, which is a huge milestone. And, you know, also on NPM and GitHub, there's just so many amazing metrics that we've seen cascade recently, uh, you know, in the last 10 to 12 months. But of course, there's a huge history here of what we're building on top of, which some of the more nascent vendors, they're not falling back on that, you know, that knowledge and vast amount of use cases and experiences. So I'm very thankful for that. Given all the episodes we do, I see a lot of GitHub star charts and most of them are pretty linear. And I, I don't actually don't know why someone needs to figure out the research on why they're so predictable. But yours is a little unpredictable in that it's kind of super linear. Like Directus is growing faster than it's ever grown, it seems to me, in terms of developer adoption. What's driving that in your perspective? I'm sure there's a lot that people could be excited about, but any 
thing that other folks could learn to replicate? Yeah, it's, I mean, we, we really believe in that product-led growth mentality. You know, build the best yeah. product, don't put paywalls in there, don't over-commercialize it or add artificial limitations, and just really being developer first, embracing their decisions in tech stack. That's been our guiding light, and I think that helps us put a best foot forward uh, in terms of our developer community, which is growing very quickly. When we look at the star chart, it's interesting you say it's linear. I mean, it's definitely relatively linear if when you zoom out over such a long period of time yeah. that we've been around, but there's some pretty notable 1,000 star spikes here and there. And those are directly attributed to very small, like I've got a Saturday, let me post on Reddit, you know, our programming, or uh, let's talk about this on Product Hunt where we hit, you know, the, the number one spot by votes. and. It was like three or four different events that I've just manually had a couple extra hours to swing myself. And it just, it resonates with developers. And of course, the real interesting aspect of this is the network effect. When you get into a Reddit community and, and you sort of drive that interest and people can download it easily and find that value without a lot of hurdles, that cascades very quickly to a few stars, maybe on GitHub. And it doesn't take a huge amount when you have those eyeballs to get on a trending page, you know, whether it's the TypeScript trending page or the global GitHub Explore page, you know, that they're overall trending. Uh, and of course, that cascades out to just more clicks. Mm -hmm. And very quickly, you can get some pretty sizable bumps. We just passed. It's, it's my most important metric. And I, I've got, you know, charts and I've got it right here on my status bar on my computer. 17,265, you know, every milestone we pass there is just so meaningful to us. And we're passing huge multi-billion dollar competitors or, or other vendors out there that have, you know, have a lot more marketing dollars. We're just kind of grassrootsing it uh, right now, but it's working well. And we're, we're just passing now into that threshold of top 1000 repos across GitHub. And with 300 million code bases on, on that platform, it's, it's just really exciting to have gotten here with so little, you know, to just be so efficient yep. and automated. Earlier, you talked about how, you know, you, you kind of aren't easily bucketed in traditional categories and that you maybe another way to describe that topic. What, what do people do with directives today? What, what are kind of use cases or, or kind of exciting customers of late that we can kind of help ground the discussion for folks? Yeah. So it's, it's really interesting. Like to touch on the use cases first, there's a lot of digital experiences. I've been surprised, you know, we just released some co-marketing with Supabase, which is an amazing platform. Uh, there's overlap between our services, but you know, I think what was most interesting there is they're purely data. You know, it's just a data store and they're powering a lot of digital experiences. That's a lot of what they're doing. So there's a lot to be said about content and how you can properly manage content. But what we've seen is you need to go beyond that horizon at some point in your growth. You know, you need to start building in some metadata or some pure data. And that's why it's so important for us to remain a data platform. Uh, we're not a headless CMS. We're equally powering digital experiences, applications, internal tools. We're in the IoT space with Bose and, and a number of, of larger customers, AR and VR data, really everything. I mean, you can look at all sorts of different leasing systems and inventory and allocation. It's all data. It all needs to be managed. And you can't necessarily go out and just Google a, a leasing data platform uh, and find a, an excellent result. So laying this proper foundation has really helped us provide a baseline. You know, we're going to give you 80% of the functionality you need out of the gate, and we're going to play well with others. It's a hub and spoke model, you know, different from the monolithic approach 
or the uh, microservice approach, which is of course more modern, microservice is great, but it adds a lot more complexity. We're aiming to be a hub that plays well with others and you can integrate with Stripe or Salesforce or anything else you might need. Uh, and that's giving us a leg up and allowing us to sort of work with some great customers. You know, there are Copa Airlines, AT&T, uh, Sonder, the US government, uh, Juilliard for e-learning, uh, TripAdvisor, we have a great testimonial about bringing data together across all these different teams. Uh, there's, and, and there's a number of even larger, you know, Fortune 10 companies that we can't even disclose. It's exciting times and that's the tip of the iceberg. You know, when you're talking about 20 million downloads on Docker, there's a huge number of Lone Star developers, you know, just doing hobby projects, SMBs and mid-market. There's just so much to unpack there. And we're really excited to gather more telemetry and understand what are the three or four pillar use cases mm -hmm. we can really focus on in the short term to not be a mile wide and an inch deep. How can we really provide the best experience and value uh, to what's most relevant to our customers and users? Digital experiences is a good, maybe a good term. And it, it reminds me, I guess, that these uh, companies don't operate just a single application. It's not you know, the Juilliard application and you, you slap on Directus, but everybody is spinning up new software projects all the time in order to offer an experience, whether it's a, a new kind of mini application or, or a marketing event or a marketing initiative. And so any one of those may have a Directus instance and a, a SQL database to power it, or they may have a Directus instance that, that kind of taps into an existing much larger SQL database project. Absolutely, I mean, you can scope things however you want. Yeah. I have to say unopinionated again, uh, there's customers that use it on a per project or a per team base. You know, you yeah. can scope it based on a project or power an entire company. You know, it's really up to you how you partition off your data, how many data stores you have, environments, et cetera. But the one commonality is it's your data. It's your data store, whether it's existing data, new data, you control the SQL vendor, you know, Postgres, MySQL, Cockroach, SQLite, Oracle, you know, however you want to store your data, and including your schema and your architecture, you maintain that there's no proprietary vendor lock-in. At the end of the day, it's all just data. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna do some huge air quotes here with future-proof. Uh, I know this is audio only, but we aim to be as flexible and extensible as possible with escape hatches and of course being open source and white label. The goal here is to make sure that we can lay this foundation that will last within your project or organization for five, 10 years plus. That's a very difficult ask at the project or the business level, but that's that's what we're, we're striving to build. Now you said something earlier that would be good to touch on, and that relates to something I think a lot of open source founders have to wrestle with, and that is how, how much of this do I put in the open and how much do I leave in some kind of proprietary? And you've biased towards open, it sounds like. Maybe you can tell us how you navigate some of those decisions in the past and how you're doing it now. And yeah, as, I mean, as you formalize a company, it becomes increasingly difficult yeah. uh, as you bring on investors and people who are revenue focused. And it's been very important for us to make sure that along this journey, we found partners that see our vision, that are aligned with our ethos of truly maintaining an open source mentality, having that spirit, not limiting the on-prem installations at all, uh, embracing that, and even going so far as to offer a free, free cloud service that also, you know, it's not production ready, maybe it's for proof of concepts, hobby projects, etc. cetera. Uh, but the goal is to bring that spirit to everything that we do. Uh, and that's can be, can be very difficult to hold on to when you're trying to meet revenue goals and build something that's sustainable. Again, my balancing act is really how can we 
ensure we can deliver premium open source software without those paywalls and limitations or switching into a dual license or anything like that, but also make it sustainable so that we can grow our engineering team, that we can grow our support and success for our users and customers. I think I'm I'm huge on metaphors. There's two things that I always fall back on uh, when I'm kind of speaking to this. One is a rising tide lifts all ships. We have a huge developer community and so much room to grow there because of the breadth of these use cases. If we can just foster that advocacy and build these evangelists by really showcasing value and not locking them out from, from features, then that's going to impact our entire ecosystem. If you have some percentage of monetized users, if you can grow that base, you're going to get that revenue, that, that monetization on, on the, the bottom of the funnel. And then the other side of it is really how we get there. And that's icing on the cake. My goal is to make sure that every aspect of the cake itself remains completely free and open source and premium, well-tested, stable, etc., and that we're continuing to add capabilities to that cake. But of course, everybody wants the icing. You know, we can add on non-core features. We are not going to gate security or any of that, but we can add on these these really nice features and options that can be premium, that can be commercialized through our SaaS or through an upcoming marketplace. I think that's a better approach to making sure that users can really leverage the platform. Uh, I mentioned a lot of public sector and financial institutions, individual developers that just don't have a budget. You need to support them on-prem, allow them to build it on their Arduino or their Raspberry Pi or Mm -hmm. on naval ships, whatever it might be. It's all very intrinsically tied together. And I I think that's my my vision for how we push forward. Always testing. There's always tests in terms of how can you maintain that balance? And uh, that's TBD. But I think we're doing a a pretty good job so far. Certainly. Uh, Shifting gears a bit. I imagine a lot of our listeners are developers themselves and are keen to figure out if, if this is something they could use and how. Maybe we could go into some of the features, capabilities of the product. I'm I'm willing to bet that you know every developer's got a, a half dozen projects kind of in their head that they're working on, and I, one of those seems like maps at least to direct us. What are the things that people normally latch onto as utilities that they see initially? I mean, we're always pushing the envelope in terms of releasing new capabilities to the platform, but every single project out there, regardless of what you're building, there's data behind it somewhere, whatever that data looks like. Uh, And so there's a lot of opportunity for us to embrace that and give tools. And again, going back to my metaphors, we treat our platform as a carpenter's tool belt. These are very simple tools, the hammer, screwdriver, drill, saw, et cetera, that when you bring those together, you can build almost anything. And that's you know this, similar to how SQL works. You know, there's not a million glued together features that get piecemealed into a Frankenstein. It's a simple toolkit that lets you have very performant, flexible operations you can perform. And so we take our platform and we've distilled it down to this idea of browsing, managing, visualizing, connecting, and automating your data. So that's a bunch of different buckets, but they're all very important to distinguish. And that's how we've separated out how we align those tools. So browsing data, you know, different from visualizing. You know, visualizing is about aggregate data and charts and and sort of looking at the big 10,000 foot view. But a lot of times you might need to browse data, whether you're browsing articles in content form or items on a map, et cetera. So the ability to take your data store and instantly install this software and browse data in a calendar, map, Kanban, table, media view, whatever is most relevant to your data, that's a great win right out of the box. 
You take that a step further, you, you know, enter some of those data records, those items as we call them, and you can manage them. We're taking the fields of the database and we're building out forms that you can customize and giving you 60 plus interface options uh, that of course you can create your own in view. But how can you manage that data in a way, uh, of course, through access control, et cetera. We're building visualization in that, you know, certainly goes beyond the typical CMS, which is why we're not really in that category at all. But these are features that content authors can still leverage. You know, how do I visualize my most popular posts? I want to see a time series or a meter of, you know, my hardware. You know, how hot is my CPU running? It's whatever data you throw at it. Let's visualize it. You can still go use Tableau, Power BI, what have you, but we want to give you that baseline of functionality. Connecting is all about the APIs. Uh, we provide REST and GraphQL APIs, again, unopinionated. Uh, you can get those custom endpoints. You've got every option that you need for fetching and, and pushing the IO of that relational data. And the last is, is automation. That's actually something we just released a few weeks ago with a feature called Flows. Uh, this is automation of workflows where it's a trigger-based system. And whether that's an inbound webhook, a cron schedule, a data CRUD operation or a button being pressed in the application, really any event can then cascade out to a number of actions or operations that gives you endless flexibility with conditions and alerting and uh, ETL extract transform load, all this different optionality in terms of what you can do to automate this data, build workflows to say, hey, this content needs approval, this data needs to be updated and synced with Stripe when customers are generated or what have you. So just a sort of a taste of the big pillars that we're supporting within our data engine, the, the back into the service, as it were, and the data studio, which is the no-code collaboration app. Maybe two questions as we kind of wind down here. One would be, tell us about the state of the community today. Where do people engage? What, what could people contribute if they want to get involved? And then two, where, where are you going from here? What does the future hold for the project, be it features or, or kind of community? Yeah, excellent. So the, I mean, the current state of the community is is amazing. You know, even when when it was a couple yeah. thousand people, we were just so pumped. It just always seems surreal to me to have taken something, you just build it. I mean, that's what developers love is you can just build something from nothing, and then you can attract other like minded folks. But we're sitting at you know about sixty five thousand plus folks in our community across a number of platforms. Most notably, Discord. We've got a bunch of folks on there just actively talking, asking questions, engaging, answering questions, kind of has a life of its own. You can find that at directus.chat, a little URL shortener there. And then of course, GitHub is our main hub for our code base and our community. Uh, so that engagement, that is where we're getting, you know, reporting any issues you might come across, really focusing on testing right now and stability to make sure that we're shifting from that super innovative 15 steps forward, two or three steps back with regressions. We want to shift to 10 steps forward, zero steps back. Just make sure that we're really improving that overall experience as we iterate through our versions. Very social, you know, across uh, Twitter and, and bring on some new folks there to focus on that front. I think we're just shy of 50,000 followers there. So that's, you know, an exciting platform that we're pushing. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of where where the community stands right now. It's It's really exciting to see all the engagement. What we are doing, we've always seen a lot of pull requests. Uh, that's That's awesome. But we have to make sure that as we shift into this idea of stability, we're not, the code just has to be exactly what it needs to be. Yeah. And that's shifting to more of like a, a formal RFC process where the code goes, we, we talk about what that pull request looks like beforehand. Nobody wants to get this pull request, this 
you know, a lot of work's been put into it and it gets closed because it's just not a good fit for whatever reason. We've got you know, an 80-20 rule to make sure we stay very clean and maintainable in our code base. Uh, and then most excitingly, you know, where we're going from here, we are actively growing the company. Uh, we're at this really nice inflection point that's super exciting. Uh, some details coming out on that in the short term, but I'm, I'm very product focused. So even more exciting to me are a few of the things that we're actively working on. On the product side, we're looking at real-time data. How can we have this moving from polling, you know, every three or 10 seconds and, and asking for data? How can we make our APIs and our app actually real-time with WebSockets? We're very far along in that process and excited to be announcing and releasing that very soon, as well as some pretty exciting things on the cloud front. Right now, we provide a full end-to-end -end infrastructure on our cloud SaaS. Again, free tier, self-service, standard tier, and enterprise for everything else. But we can always do more. You know, We're providing that serverless database, but why not allow you to really have authority and ownership over your data store, You know, remote data connections, so you can use our SaaS, but on top of your self-hosted or on-prem data store. That gives us a sort of a hybrid cloud functionality that's just really exciting to think about. It opens up a lot of doors there, uh, as well as partnerships. So those are a handful of the things that we're working on. I think the biggest thing, as I mentioned, is a little bit more boring in terms of testing suites and end-to-end -end and stability docs, guides, and the like. But yeah, it's going to be an exciting few weeks, few months, and few years. So stay tuned for sure. Testing suites and docs sound boring until you hit a bug or you, you, you need an answer, and then you're very grateful for both. Fantastic. I am also very excited about what the future holds because you're, you're, you, you seem to be at an inflection point, like the community is at a certain state, the products kind of just emerging in terms of the cloud product, um, a lot of things to look forward to. Uh, anything, Ben, we didn't cover that you would like to cover today? No, uh, I mean, we covered some good ground. I mean, I think always just looking for people to try it out. We are not a, a sales and marketing organization. We, we're just now you know, starting to, to hire those just to keep up with some inbound demand. But we've hired engineers first by design. You know, We lead with our product. Uh, we're very proud of what we've built. And I would just urge any, anybody out there to just go try it out. You know, Download it through NPM or Docker or just even easier. It takes about 90 seconds. You can get a free community project up and running on our cloud. Just authenticate through GitHub and you're good to go. Try it out, check out the demo, and let us know what you think. That's what it's all about. As a final question, I should have asked this earlier. Tell us about the name, Directus. How did you come up with that? Were there any preliminary names before it? Yeah, so it's, it's a, an interesting and almost embarrassing story. So Directus now, what it it's Latin for sort of putting things into an organized, you know, straight lines. Um, oh, yeah. A lot of people okay. capitalize the U and it's like direct us, which is a little like a little pet peeve. I'm like, no, it's it's just Latin, but... Either yeah. way, that it yeah. actually stemmed from in 20 years ago, a, a less mature me. I was, we were replicating, you know, file systems and data stores and all that, and it came from DIR, you know, the idea of like the directory. Of course, dir is the absolute worst name you can imagine, uh, but this seemed like a natural progression. You know, the early days are always a little interesting for a software company. I, the first version I did was was actually an action script before we moved to the LAMP stack, and then of course, luckily, over to JavaScript TypeScript, but. Some interesting starting points there, and we've been. I'm a designer and creative by trade, and so we've really focused on the branding, the GUI, the UI and UX. And so I've been happy with the progression away from Dur and to Directus <laughs> and the lovely little bunny branding that we have as well. It's just, it's all coming together nicely. No, I'm I'm a fan of Directus, and I definitely knew it was had Latin 
kind of roots. That's not lost on most of us, I don't think. Okay. Yep. I, I won't expect any capital U's from you then, Eric. Thank you. <laughs> Good. Ben, thanks so much for coming. Uh, and I look forward to watching the project from here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Eric. I appreciate it. You can subscribe to the podcast and check out our community Slack and newsletter at contributor.fyi. If you like the show, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Eric Anderson, and this has been Contributor. Contributor.